0: The U.N., a proxy for global socialism and a shield for corrupt nations who disregard human rights, this week decided to ignore war crimes in Ukraine, where people, thousands of civilians have died, women and children raped, murdered, and rolled over by tanks because they have a more pressing agenda to push on the world to further destroy the societies and nations of the world. You see, the UN was too busy launching their new campaign, Unbox Me, to promote and encourage gender dysphoria in children, stating, quote, children all around the world must be supported in expressing their identity freely, unquote. After all, it is not enough to protect children with gender dysphoria from abuse. In fact, we need to encourage gender dysphoria in all children by effectually confusing kids through media programming before they can even spell their names. The Biden administration, too, rallied behind the UN, the UN for Transgender Day, by saying, quote, We need to castrate children and give experimental hormone therapy to kids until they're 18 when they are of age to make their own decision, but can no longer make that decision due to the irreversible surgeries and hormone blockers that we gave them before they were even three years old. After all, unquote, after all, sex and gender aren't linked. So we should make each child biologically sexless by sexualizing and enforcing stereotypical gender norms on sex that we once called sexist. Oh, Billy, it looks like you're cooking. You must be a girl. The world eagerly awaits the sequel to the UN's programming, Unbox Me, and the UN plans to title their sequel Adults Are Children Too, a new ad that normalizes pedophilia. This will be followed by the third in the series called loving parents are really manipulative authoritarian slave drivers give your kids to the state so that we can work them as faceless units in our authoritarian state driven utopia after all the un and anti human globalists know that the world the war in ukraine isn't going to slim the population down to 500 million quite fast enough and after 50 years they have grown tired of waiting for climate change and the climate apocalypse to completely wipe out humanity and their failed attempt at creating a lab created flu wasn't which wasn't nearly effective enough as Bill Gates and George Soros might has hoped might have hoped Clearly, the only solution is to now destroy the slave-driving business called, quote-unquote, family through making every child a ward of the state who can truly love them as a faceless unit in identity, probably just a number on a sheet somewhere. And the state can finally help five-year-olds explore their sexuality by banning gestationers, a.k.a. women who give birth to children or mothers. Who force this hetero oppressive gender identities on their children? Finally, freeing society from religious norms that prevent 45 year old adult children, because adults are just children too, from having secret sexual relationships with kids, states of the ward. After all, if climate change and the flu isn't going to stomp out humanity, the moral intellectual elites will have to do it themselves. What better way to stop humanity than by using feminism to destroy women? And women do really need to be erased, according to the Biden administration, which is why US, the USA took the first bold step in this brave new world to institute the ex-gender on passports, although it fell short of the true goal of removing male and female options from passports and ID cards altogether so that we can create a truly androgynous human race, which only blonde hair, blue eyed, anti-racist, anti-humans who are loyalists to atheism and the Green New Deal can be bred in test tubes. It is a step, at least it is a step. And finally seeing a world free of morality, hope, goodness, and godliness. This way, hopefully, we will see a hopeless world where maybe people will give up all on their own. They'll stop gestating human units and turn into aimless, amoral, transhuman droids. Hey, it's Lucas Scrobot, and you're listening to the Lucas Scrobot Show, where... We uncover purpose, pursue truth, and own the future. It is episode 277. It is April 7th, 2022. And it is a brave new world all around the (laughs) brave new world all around. Now, I have mixed feelings about the UN. If you can't tell, and on today's show, we are going to be talking about how there is an explicit. It's not hidden. It's not secret. It's not in the shadows lurking somewhere. There is an explicit agenda to destroy family. And we're going to be talking about why, why they want to destroy the family. There's been a lot of talk about groomers and and Disney blatantly pushing their their alphabet agenda on kids to confuse kids. In their minds, it's not confusing kids. In their mind, it is that the cis-normative heterosexual uh, gender identity has been confusing kids for thousands of years. And the family is forcing that upon the kids. So we're going to be getting into gender and we're going to be looking at it from a unique position in that the way that more conservative societies in the world, such as here in the Middle East, the way that they are viewing women is very different. And we'll be covering this on the show today. Very different. And I took a poll which really exemplifies this: how conservative societies are actually quite are pushing towards, and are fighting towards, honor and dignity of women, whereas societies in the West are actually trying to erase women's existence on the whole. But before that, breaking news update from around the world in Ukraine. I would be amiss. Do not talk about Ukraine on today's show as it, in some ways, it looks like Russia has completely lost the war in Ukraine. There are retreating in different areas, but in other ways, I strongly doubt, I strongly doubt that this is the end of the war. It is more likely a regrouping. So I want to hit a, a couple different headlines. First of all, there have been massacres. Uh, over the last week in Ukraine stories, photos coming out of mass graves, civilians, hundreds of civilians in in villages killed in the streets, women and children raped, uh, horrific stories. Now, of course, the pro Russian media sources are saying this all false flags. It's all fake. Um yeah, I'm not buying it. I'm definitely not buying it. I do know there is so much misinformation, disinformation out there. It's hard to tell what is real and what is fake, but the the images, the stories that are coming out from these areas of, of Ukraine, horrific, terrifying. Uh, Zelensky went to the UN and called the UN asking them to wake up and pay attention. And he said, either pay attention and begin to do something UN in the Ukraine and stop this humanitarian crisis is war that's happening. Stop downplaying this war or totally disband yourself. Now, as I said, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the UN there's, but there are some things that I do like about the UN. It's a mixed bag, just like everything else. But I think Zelensky is right. I think the U.N. should disband itself regardless. There is a case to be made for Zelensky to call upon the powers in the the U.S. and the U.N. and NATO to enter into this hot war, this armed conflict. It is within their right. If your family was being attacked, if your nation was being attacked, of course, it is your responsibility as the leader of that nation to ask for help in your time of need while you're being attacked. But that does not necessitate NATO's response. There is not an agreement. There's not an allied between NATO and uh, Ukraine. Ukraine is not part of NATO. So there's not a necessity as far as contract or agreements, treaties go for the US or any other nation to get involved. But really what this is turning into is another proxy war. It is a proxy war between NATO and the West and Russia. And that is how Putin and others are seeing this conflict. They are seeing it as a a conflict between the West and US and Western allies and Putin. This is from Bloomberg. Bloomberg says that the United States and its Western allies fail to understand that from President Vladimir Putin's perspective, they are already at war with Russia. This is according to a former head of Yukos Oil and was once the, Russia's richest person. He goes on to say, Putin has said from the very beginning that this war includes NATO. Putin thinks NATO is weak and that they will not defend the Baltics. If Russia attacked those nations, all former members of the Soviet Union, if that plays out, he said, Putin believes NATO will collapse, and that means America's global influence will plummet. Again, we've been talking about a new world order, not from some globalist, elitist conspiracy theory, but it's what we're seeing. We're seeing a shift right now an a global macro order and, and and power in the world. We saw it with Afghanistan, the pulling out of Afghanistan. We saw it with ACUS, with the the new alliance to give nuclear submarines to Australia. We we've saw it with the Russian trade or Chinese um New Silk Road and the waterways and railways and pipelines. We've been talking about the shifting on a global stage that can will eventually most likely, undermine America's global influence. We've talked about how the US dollar in many ways is in peril. maybe maybe not in two years, five years, but maybe in 10, 20 years. there really could be a, a massive macro event that causes people, to abandon the U.S. dollar as a store of wealth and currency and adopt something new. I do not believe that currency is on the scene yet. I do not think it's Ethereum or Bitcoin or the the yuan. I I don't think so. But there will be something that's coming. Which leads us to uh, this other point. Two more points. One, another headline from World News says that Vladimir Putin wants to build Pro a pro-Russia empire from Vladistok to Portugal, all across Europe. They're looking to establish a new order, to, to, to dismantle the West's power and NATO's power, America's power, and to establish a new hierarchy within the world where Russia and China is on top. This is what they're pushing for. Whether it happens or not, we'll see. But I, I, I think that this conflict, calling it conflict, but it's a war. This war is far from over. I really do believe that we're seeing the beginning of international conflicts. And this is even what the one of the top U.S. generals has said. And it was published on CNN top US general potential for significant international conflicts is increasing the headline goes top US military officer told lawmakers tuesday that the world is becoming more unstable and the potential for significant international conflicts is increasing not decreasing and what we're seeing right now in ukraine is only a a, a beginning of unrest is what we saw in Afghanistan. It's the beginning of global uncertainty. And in that time of global uncertainty, other powers seek to make their moves to establish their greater trade dominance and economic dominance in the world. And as a global superpower, the United States is waning with 20, $24 trillion of debt, 80% of the U S dollar has been printed in the last 2 years there are major uh, warning signs and flags in the US economy that we've touched on in the show so there is uh, indicators that that unrest is coming there's indicators that instability is coming and so what do we do when we see those indicators what do we do when we all of a sudden realize Hmm. There might be a famine in the land. There might be, there might be stormy waters ahead. We don't just sit back and do nothing. We don't just sit back and say, well, sera, sera. I hope, I hope I'll be okay. I hope that God takes care of me. Inshallah, No, we take action. We prepare. When you hear that there's a famine coming to the land, you build storehouses. When you hear that unrest is coming into the land, you strengthen your 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 family unit, you strengthen your troops, you strengthen your borders. You prepare if you see a storm coming. You prepare. So don't sit back and be passive. Take steps forward. Learn, educate yourself, and prepare. For instance, that yield curve that we talked about having uh, dipped and become inverted, the 10 to two-year yield curve, a majority of the time that the yield curve has been inverted, where the interest rate on a two-year bond or note becomes greater than the interest that you can get on a 10-year note, when that becomes inverted, within six to 24 months, there is a very, very strong correlated likelihood that you will see a recession. And so the yield curve inverted for a moment a couple weeks ago, and then it stayed inverted for about a week. That is a strong sign that in the next 24 months, 2023, 2024, we would likely see a recession. So that gives you time. That gives you time to actually do something about it. Another question though, When it comes to America, this is by the Wall Street Journal. Will America, will the youth of America fight for America if it's invaded? They did a poll where they asked, I guess, Gen Zs, if America was invaded, would they stand and fight? And the majority of Americans said that they would not. They said that they would... Likely, a, a high percentage said that they would likely flee the country. Now, there's not a, a, an exact one-to-one ratio. You don't exactly know what people will end up doing in the midst of wartime, but many said they would not fight for the country. They'd just flee the country, which is not a sign of strength. Not a sign of strength. Well, these, these toxic, and I really do mean toxic, I really do mean destructive ideas of destroying the family and the family unit and having a a sense of not unhealthy pride, but a sense of pride in who you are as a nation, who you are as your ethnic or cultural identity, who you are as a family and your family name, your family heritage. Those have been systematically chipped away in America over the last number of decades systematically from, from agendas, from the top down, from CRT, from education systems, media, they are pushing in this identity of victimhood and oppressors. And if you are of a certain makeup, a population, immediately you become an oppressor. And there's great shame in that. There's not a lot of virtue in that. There's not a lot of currency that you can curry with those around you in that. So you begin to adopt victim mentalities, victim identities, because that then aligns you as a victim. And if you are in a victim in America, you have status. Very dangerous place because people who have victim mentalities are not the people that you want building society because you're not going to build a healthy society. They're going to build a society out of a, an orphan spirit and feeling like a victim. So there's a, a, a strategy that has been propped up against Judeo-Christian Western culture and Western values. And that all stems from the family. The strength of societies, any society, is in the family unit. It's Individuals, individuals then come together and build families. And within that family unit, you have a level of cohesiveness and health and the health of the family units then creates health of communities, health of communities, then create health of cities and then creates health of nations. Now, two families on different, different parts of a city or a nation or a community might not be identical, but there is a level of shared value within that culture, and there should be healthy pride, healthy gratitude, healthy appreciation for who we are as a society, who you are as a society. And I know from living here in the Middle East, it is, it is actually looked down upon When someone isn't at least proud of their ethnicity or heritage, whatever that is, whether it's Romanian or Polish or uh, uh, from Pakistan, people are proud of their family heritage. But in the West, in America, there's something sick that is going on. And and by sick, I I mean there's something mentally wrong that's going on where we're completely ashamed of even good things that we have accomplished as an American society. Of course, there's a lot of horrific, horrific atrocities that have been uh, committed by American society, but there's also a lot of good things that has come about from it as well. And that's something we can be proud of. Of course, just like in our family, there are things that we can feel shame about from our, our, our family lineage or history or our parents. There's things that we don't like that we want to change and break, but there's also areas that we can honor our families and honor our parents. Well, this attack is focused directly, focused directly at destroying family units. And here, Joe62 just left a comment on the YouTube stream saying, people forget Camille Rouge separating children to indoctrinate them. Family first, family always. 100%. Joe, this is 100% right, what you're saying. They attack the family, separating children from the family, because it's in the family that values are passed down, that there's strength. So they're attacking the family. How are they attacking the family right now in the West? But by attacking women, by explicitly, explicitly trying to erase women. The U.S. government just put an ex-gender on their passport. I mean, if that's not a clown move, I mean, what are, what are nations? around the world going to think when you show up at their border with your passport that allows you to travel internationally and you show up at their border and you're like, yeah, I'm an ex, I'm an X person They're like, Oh, what's that? Well, I'm, I'm an ex. What happens when, when you, <laughs> you're across the world in a totally another country and you think now you have the right as a man to enter a woman's bathroom. It's, it's literally, it's just literally erasing women. I, I I posted a question on, on the gram just this week. And I asked, what is a woman? And the responses I got were, were really, it was really fascinating to see the difference between how the majority of people from the West answered this question. And the majority of people from the Middle East answered this question. So I'll start with some answers from the West. First answer was a woman with a vagina. That's a, a, a human with a vagina is a woman. Yes. Now the, the a issue maybe with that statement of defining a woman in that manner is that, well, if a man gets reconstructive surgery to have something that looks like a vagina, does that make him a woman? I uh, do no. A human. A human is a woman, okay? Yeah. Having a period is a woman. Okay, this is a a good point because we say that men cannot menstruate, right? This whole idea that it's birthing people, it's gestures, gestationers. That it's you know, it's not man or woman who can give birth, it's just people. Well no, a, a person who has a period is a woman, but there are women who hit menopause and no longer have periods. There are there are, are women who have to have hysterectomies and no longer have periods. They are still women. Here's one. In in 2022, only a multifaceted logical conflict too complex to manifest itself in nature. A woman is a multifaceted logical conflict too complex to manifest itself in nature. I don't even know what that means, but it's evident that this is what the mindset of what a woman is in the West. A a woman is someone who identifies as a woman. We recently heard from the top of the Supreme Court who uh, is likely to be nominated a woman saying, I'm not a biologist, so I can't give a definition for a woman. I'm not a biologist. Who am I? I'm not a biologist. Another clip that we're going to actually play here. Who's a woman? A woman is someone who identifies as a woman. How, how, how cyclical is that? A woman is someone who identifies as a woman? So I could be a woman. Any Anyone could be a woman. All you have to do is say, I identify as a woman, and therefore I am woman. Here is a, a, a clip from Charlie Kirk. Uh, <laughs> talking with a feminist at a college about just this
1: yeah uh, what is a woman
2: uh... somebody who identifies as a woman
0: so can i become a woman
2: do you have gender dysphoria thankfully no <laughs> then, then no.
1: <laughs> Oh, but so only if you have gender dysphoria you can identify as a woman
2: it's a medical condition
1: it's a medical yes. condition so anyone at any time can become a
2: woman uh... no because well, anyone could have
1: gender dysphoria it's it's you claim it upon yourself i i you know what i i am, i'm actually thinking i might i might actually have gender dysphoria so can i become a well woman? i
2: wish you the best in your transition and i hope that society accepts you
1: so let me ask you a question
0: so it one fascinating point here this feminist is admitting that transgendered is a mental disorder It it is a disorder if someone and this is where my my empathy does come out. If someone has bipolar or schizophrenia or has actual diagnosed depression issues, they're actually struggling with something. They actually have a mental disorder. I'm going to be compassionate. I'm going to love that person. I'm going to care for that person. But what I am not going to say is that, you know what? It's normal having voices in your head. And, you know, you should just embrace the voices in your head. You should just embrace them and just listen to whatever they say, whatever those voices in your head say. You should just follow it because that is who you are. That is your identity. No, that's not what we do. That's not what we do with mental disorders. What we do with mental disorders, we say, you know what? I recognize that you are going through an identity crisis. I recognize that there's pain there's wounds there's uh, there's a legitimate mental disorder that is going on we are going to help you overcome this mental disorder but with transgenderism because it's attached to a greater agenda to destroy womenhood and destroy the family unit we no longer say let me help you we say that is who you are and in fact we want to make sure that everyone has a chance to get sick with gender dysphoria, starting with little kids. And instead of helping little kids, we're going to ban people from helping kids. The moment that a child might one day say, Hey, look, hey, look, teacher, I'm a girl. Hey, look, teacher, I'm a boy. The moment that it's opposite of their actual actual biological XXXY gender, they say, ah, that's it. We need to switch it. I thought gender was fluid. So why, why are you all of a sudden forcing gender norms on biological sex if they're detached? So now a boy one time calls himself a girl and now you need to like do a bottom surgery or a girl calls himself a boy and now you need to bind and do a top surgery. I I thought they weren't connected. So why is someone all of a sudden the opposite of what they are? Why is that? Was trying to be pushed as normal, and if it is, and it is, a mental disorder, why aren't we trying to help people out of it rather than trapping people in it? Oh, oh. Anyways, here's a, the the following clip. Oh, oh, in this clip as well, forgot to mention. Here's Kirk saying, "Well, so anyone can," and this young, very kind young woman says, "Well, no, not anyone can." Well, but anyone can have gender dysphoria. And she kind of resigns to that point and she says, Oh yeah, well I, I hope you a happy transition if you have gender dysphoria. So it literally means anyone can be a woman at any point of time when it's convenient for them because gender dysphoria is fluid, it comes and goes. Here's the rest of the clip.
1: So so you're a feminist and you, you say anyone who has gender dysphoria can transition to become a woman at any time. That that's that's your position? Sure. Okay. Do you think chromosomes have anything to do with determining what a female is? Yes. Okay. So then, where does the gender dysphoria come into place?
2: I think that sex and gender are different things.
0: Sex and gender are different.
1: Right. But then, what That's is a what they woman?
2: say? Somebody who identifies as a woman.
1: So anyone can be a woman at any single time.
2: You've asked me this question. It's still now.
1: Got it. And you're a feminist. I am. So who are you trying to? It's protect? Still true. What was that? Are, what women are you trying to protect?
2: Women. All women.
1: That you can't, Regar- regardless that you can't of Regardless
2: of uh, whether or not they've transitioned.
1: Whether or not they've transitioned. Yes. Well, um, I wish you well in the coming situation where now as a feminist, you're going to have to live under the tyranny of men who, th-
0: who think they're women. End of the clip cut out. So now you're going to have to live under the tyranny of men who think they're women. Fascinate a couple fascinating things in this back and forth. First, when you when you define a woman as anyone who identifies as a woman, you still haven't identified what womanhood is. And she's saying, "Well, I'm going to defend. I'm I'm trying to defend all women, whether they've identified, have transitioned as women or not. So that would mean any man." She is looking to defend any and protect any man who at some point in their life maybe identify as a woman. It has it, it totally lost the entire thread of the feminist movement. Now, there's a lot of things. Clearly, the progression of the feminist movement has become extremely toxic. Uh, I, I love women's suffrages. I love the fact that we fought, that many people fought for women to be able to vote and work and be treated as equal to men. But something strange then began to happen where it wasn't that women and men should be equal, but it was women should become men. Women should be as men, should be the same. And the moment that that happened, it began to to distort the identity of what a woman is and what womanhood is And it's gone to its logical conclusion, which well, then a man can identify as a woman and that is a woman because a woman is anything that you identify as. And now women are being placed underneath the tyranny of the men that they're trying to be protected from by them calling themselves women. It is is, uh, uh, actively working to erase the woman identity by using and weaponizing feminism against women. Brilliant. Well, here are some of the responses from listeners and viewers from the Middle East on saying what a woman is. And there there is it's a stark difference from the first half. The second half is this. A woman is a mother, a wife, a sister, a home. She's caring and listening, she's the reason for our existence. Notice the dignity and honor And respect and pride that is being put into what a woman is. Here's here's one that is actually very biological in nature. I know who this one's coming from. He said, XX when being mature. That's a great definition. A woman is someone with two X chromosomes and is a mature adult, meaning that they've they've transitioned from girlhood into womanhood. Another one, everything we can't be as a man. Again bringing honor and dignity to women, empowering women, creators of new lives, opposite version of X, Y, creator of new life. Again, p- empowering women, seeing to push women up to a place of honor, status, dignity, and power. Another answer, power. God's gift to man. Amen. God's gift to man. Women is it was the, the last species Species, I don't know if species is the right word. The last thing to be created, according to biblical narrative. God created the world, they saw it was good. Created man, saw that it was good. And then said, hmm, something's still missing. And created woman and said, that's very good. And all men agreed. All right? So it's it's it really is the pinnacle of creation uh, in many ways. Next answer was, one who understands a woman is able to solve everything. Mm, That's point taken. That's, That's true. A woman is life. One person's answer was, only a poet is able to describe a woman. Essentially saying it's something that poets write about and talk about because there's a mystery. There's something powerful in who a woman is. The last one was, someone who raised a man. That a real woman is someone who raises up men. And this is true. Mothers. I've said it multiple times here on the show. Mothers are the most influential person in society. It's a mom who raises her children. So influential in each and every one of ours lives. For, for the better or for the worse. But the the big overarching theme that I see. The difference that I see between these two sets of answers is that the West has gone so far that it has begun to smother what a woman is. And now people are having to fight back to define, in an elementary way, what is and isn't a woman, because a woman has become nothing, according to the, the feminist definition. A woman is someone who identifies as a woman. Well, what is that? And when you go on to ask, well, then you know, what is a woman? They say, well, you can't identify a woman because it's, it's such a broad spectrum that it's undefinable. So now in the West, we are fighting to bring back a level of, of definition so that we can give proper dignity to real women instead of men who are, are co-opting the title woman so that it can be of a victim class and further oppress women in sports and prisons and locker rooms in the west it's just amazing amazing the the what progress um atheism has made in the west Uh, amazing progress however in the middle east they're really on a broad scope i mean you look at afghanistan perfect example they're still fighting for women to be able to go to school in many in some places it was only recently in, in some countries that women here in the Middle East were allowed to drive, allowed to vote, equal pay. There is truly, in many parts of the world, a, a great disparity of rights between men and women. And the answers portray that from the way that people in, in the Middle East responded to what is a woman. A woman is someone who has this dignity and honor, and they're looking to push and elevate a woman's status in society, to to bring them honor and power and dignity and the rightful place as an equal in society with men while maintaining their their unique identity in womanhood. This is a good thing, just as we need to maintain our unique identity as men in menhood. It's the same thing, both women and men. But instead, the West is pushing for all of humanity to become agrognous, asexual beings who who have no relational ties to any one person, but everyone is shared by themselves. And this is what Huxley wrote about in Brave New World. This is the world that they are blatantly pushing for. And it's not, it's it's not, it is definitely not a hidden agenda. Yeah, that makes sense. In a post-truth society where we've exchanged the truth for lies and reasons for reason, for post-modern irrationality, the absurd finally makes sense. And one thing that is particularly absurd is a movement that is connected to everything that we've said of, of erasing the erasure of women. Which is antinatalism. We've mentioned antinatalism multiple times on the show. Antinatalism is the belief that it is immoral, that is amoral to have kids and bring kids into the world, and this deep sense of guilt and shame of bringing kids in the world and actively seeking to persuade humanity not to procreate, not to bring children into the world, and stating that. Family is a toxic, slave-driven institution that we need to totally abolish. So here is uh, here are some images from a new movement. Well, it's not a new movement. It's actually, uh, I wouldn't say old, but it's been around for a while, uh, entitled Stop Having Children, Stop Having Kids. And I've pulled a series of images from their website of banners that people are are holding up uh, on street corners, trying to encourage people not to have children. I thought we'd read through some of them as it's quite insightful of where they're going as a movement. Now, if you're listening on a uh, audio only version, not on a a video version, and you have a podcast 2.0 certified app, you could probably be able to look down at your phone right now and actually see. Some of these images right there on the the cover of your screen. So here's here's the first one. Why is having kids still celebrated? <laughs> they they literally want you to stop celebrating your children. Stop celebrating having kids. Because the ideology says that kids are in human beings are destroying society. They're destroying the environment that we, The humanity is the virus. Humanity is the virus. And finally, in 2020, nature, the world, was able to rest from the plague of humanity, crushing nature, crushing mother nature. This movement wants you to stop celebrating children. It stops valuing children, even though they say, well, actually, we're valuing children even more. No. They, they do not value kids. They want you to stop having kids. They believe that humans are the source of all problems. Another one, a lot of humans wish they were never born. Okay, yes, there are a lot of humans who struggle with depression, who wish they weren't born. But I would bet a lot of money based on what we read from the the stories of the Holocaust. That there are many people who want to live. And many of those people who wish they were never born, if they were put in a life and death situation, they would fight for their life. They would cling on to their life, even though there's problems and troubles. Having kids is far beyond a personal choice. This is true. Which is also quite contradictory to when they say, "My body, my choice." As a woman, saying, "Well, it's my body. I'm going to control my body. I'm going to have my choice, and I'm going to kill the baby inside of me because it's my personal choice." So this is a contradictory statement within their worldview. And yes, it is far far beyond a personal choice. You're bringing another human being into the world, and that child, even though even though the world is filled with suffering pain and vulnerability, there is beauty and pleasure in it. There is beauty in our our struggle and in our suffering, in our hardships. There is is a level of beauty that comes. When we look at our heroes, our heroes are all people who have overcome, who have persevered, time and time again, and and they come out overcoming. So yes, it is far beyond a personal choice because it's between two people and you're bringing another human into the world, but it is a blessing and we are creating eternal beings. Here's one, life may be worth continuing, but is it worth starting? It's a a contradictory statement. If life is worth continuing, Why wouldn't it be worth starting? Why would you not want to give someone else the beauty and the pleasure of experiencing the world and an opportunity to make the world a better place? Women can be whole without becoming a mom. 100%. Women can absolutely be whole without becoming a mom. However, many women, as maybe in their their young 20s, they say, I don't want to become a mom. But many women, as they grow older, they begin to have an urge, and psychologists talk about this. Jordan Peterson talks about this. As they grow older, they begin to have an urge within them and a desire within them to have a child. If a woman can't have a child, that doesn't mean she's not whole. It doesn't mean she's not a real woman. If someone chooses by by choice not to have a child, it doesn't mean that she's not whole. It doesn't make her less than. It doesn't mean that she should experience shame or condemnation. But it is to say that in many, not all, but in many women, there is a desire, in many men, there's a desire to have kids. And it is a God given desire be fruitful and multiply. And I believe our family, like, I, I believe that having kids is what will make the world a better place. Especially when you look at these movements that are so anti-human. If they are saying, don't have kids, and you're like, I disagree with pretty much your entire philosophy, and then you say, don't have kids, it makes me think, hmm, I don't know why, but I probably should have more kids. It's, it probably is the the solution to your problem. Here's another one. We are the most invasive and overpopulated species. Again humanity is the virus stop spreading intergenerational trauma instead spread intergenerational genocide instead make sure that you don't pass on your human genes i mean this is <laughs> this is darwin at its greatest if these people who believe this, anti-natalists, if they cease to procreate and we cease to give them a voice in indoctrinating our own children, our own families, then this movement will inevitably die. And I really, I really hope it does die. And I hope it dies in one of two ways. One, by people who believe this getting touched and healed and becoming whole from their trauma, from their pains, from their wounds that they've experienced as children from their families or wherever it comes from, from their suffering, that they find real healing in their grief. And or by society waking up to the fact that this is a toxic, dangerous ideology that that leads to genocide. Here's another, what is one unselfish reason to have a child? I do not know if this individual, this man holding this sign has ever had children, but uh, I can for sure say that raising children is quite an unselfish act. If I want to be a good parent, I have to be unselfish and I have to be selfish, selfless to care for my children and pour in time, money and resources and energy into loving my kids. Why bring kids into a world you distract yourself from? Well, first I would say if you are distracting yourself from the world, you probably need a vision for your life and you probably need to focus your life to make an impact and purpose and to find that rather than being passive and escapism and turning to entertainment. Um, why bring kids into a world that you distract yourself from? Because the world needs people who aren't going to hide their heads in the sand. Not bringing someone into existence can be an act of love. This, this, this whole, I mean, goodness, this whole movement is just so toxic. You don't need a mini-me. Let's stop dumping our problems onto future generations. Make love, not babies. Think beyond yourself. Why play Russian roulette with someone else's life? It's th- this whole worldview of hopelessness. It's this whole worldview of hopelessness and saying that the family is, is a toxic thing. Here's a, as we go into the, the rest of the segment, there's an article that we talked I think we talked about this article maybe a number of months ago from Harvard magazine calling for the abol- abolition of family for the total destruction and ending of family and it's not just a, a hypothetical fear-mongering risk that people have on the or fear that people have on the right or in conservative movements it is something real that is written about and there's a, a vast amount of literature in history, that points to it. Uh, we even we talked about this at length of what's happened in China uh, with the Cultural Revolution, and that was back in episode one fifty five through one fifty nine, and that series really continues onto episode one sixty four. We're, we're talking a lot of the Marxist Black Lives Matter uh, socialist communist agenda and ideology. So here's a clip from Turning Point USA where this very insightful young woman is totally hitting the nail on the head when it comes to why we actually should take the left at their word when they talk about abolishing the family unit.
3: What are they going to do when you say that the world's going to end in 10 years and the world is overpopulated, so to solve the problem, we can't be having as many kids. Just seeing the way that they connect all these issues in their minds makes me really worried, because in communist China, they literally forced abortions onto anybody who had more than one child. Then they forced, sterilized all the women that dared to get pregnant. So women were secretly having their kids and then keeping the kids in little tents and, and barns in the countryside. So this is not us, like, freaking out and creating some hypothesis of, what could happen that. this is actually what leftist regimes do right. especially when they start running out of resources we now have the biden food shortage coming and this is a classic step after leftist policies destroy a country after they had the famine in china they had no resources and it resulted in the one child policy so this is disturbing leftism is evil it's satanic mm-hmm. and i'm not surprised at all that now they're saying don't have kids
0: leftism is evil and it is satanic in china there were policies man-made human policies that led to mass famine in the USSR there were policies that took stripping farmers from their land and putting in people who didn't know how to farm and then when they did farm they didn't receive any portion of their crops it all went back to the state and it led to a massive decrease in production and mass famine across the USSR policies lead to man made famines and the policies that we're seeing the, the the policies that we've seen over the last 2 years have led to food shortages high gas prices and inf- massive inflation these are things that have been driven by decisions by policies from leftism that is having a certain ideology one that is against free markets and one that is against family units one that is for the the state to own individuals and own children not the family. So in in May, June, 2020, Harvard comes out with a article where they're calling for the abolition, the abolition of family and saying that families are nothing but slave driving units that are indoctrinating children with cis oppressive uh, heteronormative ideology. And the way that they're making this argument To attack families is by saying homeschooling families, raising their kids and educating their kids rather than allowing the state to educate their kids is dangerous. The reason that they say that it's dangerous is one. We now see a lot of people because of. The indoctrination of the left and the attack on children in schools and the poor performance of public school system are pulling their kids out of schools and even kids are questioning the university system because uh, it is uh, an industrial complex for the indoctrination of leftist ideology. And people are saying, you know what, really, We, we don't want that. We want our kids to learn math, to read and write and to think critically, not to be indoctrinated with leftist theories so they're pulling them out, which of course is dangerous. It's dangerous to leftism, which wants to control society. Leftism wants and sees not people as individuals, but everyone is a unit within the whole, and it's everything is done for the good of the whole. There's no such thing as individuality. There's no such thing as morality. There's no such thing as someone being unique. Everyone is there to serve the greater good. And if you don't come into alignment, there's no such thing as uh, re-educating you. It's you're broken because this is how you are chemically. You're just a sack of chemicals and the way that you think is the way that you think and that can't be changed because that's a chemical makeup. And so what they did in the USSR, they sent people to gulags and they sent them to the brick wall in the back with a shooting range. This is the progression, this has happened Within the last 100 years, the last 50 years, this is recent history. These very ideas being played out in recent history. So homeschooling is dangerous because that means the state is not able to school. Their arguments, this is Barthlett, and we've mentioned this article before, Barthlett says that, well, this is isolating children. It's isolating children, and we can't really follow up, and there could be cases of child abuse. However, studies show that child abuse among homeschoolers is lower than child abuse that happens within the public school system. And based on empirical evidence, quote, based on empirical evidence to date, there's a remarkable rate of abuse of U.S. school children by school personnel, aka teachers, coaches, bus drivers, administrations, and custodians. And these are the people that they want to oversee education mandates. And a very small fraction of abuse within the school system is reported by school personnel or is being reported to law enforcement or child welfare personnel. The idea that someone who doesn't know or care about your kid is going to take better care of them than you who birthed them and raised them and nursed them and got up at three in the morning to take care of them, the idea that some stranger is going to do a more caring job to take care of your kids and hundreds of others' kids at the same time as they sit in some desk somewhere as an administrator is absurd. This idea of centralization of of power to largely unaffected, unelected officials anywhere in the world is a bad idea. Which is why the family unit is such a good idea. Because now that that is broad and decentralized, and you don't have the ability of one person abusing hundreds of people throughout decades because it's broad and decentralized. Each family unit is able to look after its own. And if there is an infraction, there's a higher percentage that that's going to actually get dealt with within a family unit and gives more protection. The real reason. The real deep motivation behind this is, quote, surveys of homeschoolers show that a majority of such families, by an estimate, estimate of up to 90%, are driven by conservative Christian beliefs, or quote-unquote extreme religious ideology. Oh my, they have values. They believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. They believe that a woman— is an individual with an X and a Y chromosome and a man cannot become a woman and a woman cannot become a man no matter how much reconstruction, surgery, or hormone blockers or identifications you say that you have. Why would you, and again, the the contradictory thinking here. Barlett says, quote, the issue is, do we think that parents should have 24-7 essentially authoritarian control over their children from ages 0 to 18 i think that's dangerous okay so who should have that control here here it is i think it's always dangerous to put powerful people in charge of the powerless and to give the authority of powerful ones and give the powerful ones total authority so because of that we are going to set ourselves up as the powerful ones and we are going to be completely powerful over all zero to 18 year olds and will become the powerful authority rather than that authority being distributed across millions of parents. We're going to concentrate that power among a few educators and uh, administrators who have government positions. Final bit from this article, she says she urges that we forbid concerned parents the loving act of educating their own children, replacing them instead with government-approved, powerful people. It makes no sense. But this, this feminist theory expands far beyond that. And they want to abolish the family because they want to abolish capitalism. And capitalism and family go hand in hand. Because when you have a strong family unit, you're able to pass on generational wealth from person to person to person, generation to generation to generation. And if you can destroy that, that transference of generational wealth, then you can cause people to be reliant on the government. The government can take power, the government can have power, and the government can institute the policies that they want. This is socialism. This is capitalism or uh, uh, communism, excuse me, and it is killed. Hundreds of millions of people, hundreds of millions in recent history. So you should think twice when you hear these ideas of abolishing the family and ask why. Why? Why? What's the real agenda of them wanting to indoctrinate children with the alphabet agenda from a very young age and say that parents have no rights of how their child is educated and that that's dangerous? Why? Is it really because they want to groom your child? Yes, but not necessarily sexually. They want to groom the mind of the next generation to adopt these ideas so that they can have a revolution and see the downfall of Judeo-Christian values and conservative values worldwide. That is, that is why. Well, this ties into a quote, unquote, radical, queer politics. And this is from a, a feminist theorist Sophie Lewis, who has a new book that is rethinking the ideas of pregnancy and the idea of family and seeing that family is essentially just slave labor. And in her in her book in this uh, interview, she doesn't call women mothers. She calls them gestators or people who carry fetuses. I mean, if that doesn't sound industrialized to you, then I don't know what does. A gestator. No longer are you a a mother who loves and cares for your children. You're a gestator. You're someone it's the act of having a baby is just the act of labor. And you are one unit within the unit of society. She, She goes on to say That it is, she says, quote, that is why it is so valuable to denaturalize the mother-child bond. She talks about how there's these cases of mothers abusing their children or cases of uh, times where mothers aren't mentally well and harm their kids. And therefore making the argument that we need to denaturalize the child-mother bond and that the gestator has the baby, but that quote, and I quote: "This is what she said." I'm trying to find this quote right now. Children should belong to no one but themselves. Children should belong to no one but themselves. So when the mother gives birth, the the parents aren't over the child, aren't caring and tending for the child. We need to sever and break the bond. We need to break the ideas, quote unquote, the idea that babies belong to anyone. And instead, babies belong to themselves. And if a child just belongs to themselves, then who do they really belong to? Again, they belong back to the state. They belong to a group of people who have been elected or unelected, who then make decisions for everyone else. Dude, it makes decisions how society as a whole is going to, what values are going to be put in place? And those values are currently in the West anti life, anti human, anti God, anti conservative values of atheism so that people will be continually dependent on the state. The state plays a role. The state is something that it is good. It is to maintain justice, the rule of law, and to protect nations and defend nations and their people from inside and outside threats. It has its role. It has its place. And I'm grateful for all for the governments of the world. I'm grateful that we have a system of the state and of government, but it is not to overstep its bounds into taking total control over the family unit this show is brought to you by listeners like you I just want to thank everyone who has recently decided to support this show financially even if it's at a couple of dollars a month that is so encouraging to me as a creator uh of knowing that you value the time and the energy and the effort that I put into producing this podcast so if you want to support the show it is a value for value podcast we don't have ads rolling all over the place. And so if you want to give, you can visit lucascrobot.com support and give your hard cold fiat there. Or if you are into the Bitcoin world, you can give via listening on a podcast 2.0 certified app like Sphinx or Podfriend or Breeze. And you can load up your Bitcoin wallets and you can stream sats and Satoshis there. Well don't go away. We are going to be right back with our closing Weaver and Loom segment. Welcome back to Weaver and Loom, a part of the show where we take ancient wisdom and we weave it in with our everyday lives so that we can own our future and weave our destiny. We're talking about antinatalism on today's show, which is this really hopeless worldview where we believe that it's immoral to bring children into the world because of the state of the world. How can you bring a child into the world when it's so broken, so hopeless, so dark? And I can identify with those feelings many times in my life. Uh, I've mentioned a few different times recently how in the last number of months, we've suffered two different miscarriages. One early on with the first five weeks and Second one was, you know, into the second trimester, 14, almost 15 weeks along, we suffered a miscarriage. And It was quite painful. Uh, lots of grief, lots of questions, asking, okay, if, if God is good, if God cares for us and God sees us, why, why do we still suffer? If I have these promises, why do I still have pain? Why do I still suffer? Why do we? Go through these trials and hardships. And you begin, I've begun to think and realize, reflecting even on the Holocaust, of how there were many people who were righteous and upright, who loved their families, did the right thing, and they still ended up in Auschwitz. They still ended up being shot in the middle of the street. That suffering. Is pervasive around the world, and those are hard, hard things to wrestle with. And my wife and i we were, she's reading this book entitled "Prayers in the Night," and it's by Trish Warren, and she's talking about suffering. She's relating her own stories of suffering through miscarriages, and so my wife's reading this and being greatly encouraged by it, and she reads me a couple passages recently. I too was greatly touched. Excellently written, very, you know, easy to read, poetic in in its form. At many times, and uh, Trish said something that really struck me, and I'm I'm going to paraphrase. Oftentimes, when we're in this wrestling, and we see the, the hopelessness or the depravity of of mankind and the suffering of mankind. We turn to God and we say, "God, if if you are good, why do bad things happen? Why do we suffer? Why are we vulnerable?" And we want an answer, but even if even if we were given an answer in the form of words, it would just be more words to battle with and suffer with and and fight against because it doesn't take away from our pain. And to paraphrase, she she says this. God does not keep us from vulnerability and suffering. Instead, he steps down into our vulnerability and into our suffering. And that was a, it really hit home. It really touched my heart. Um, not in a cliche way, but it really made me realize that what, you know, life is filled with vulnerability. Life is so fragile from our kids, from our, our life, you know, here today, gone tomorrow. And we're not going to do away with suffering or vulnerability. We're not, we're not able to keep our kids safe. We can make them to be strong so they can face hardships and vulnerabilities in, in a strong way, but we can never take away the vulnerability that our, our kids face. We're by and large, powerless to protect our kids from every threat or protect our family or our nation from every threat, as we've seen in the last couple of years. But God, he steps down into our fragility. He stepped down into our vulnerability and he walks with us in a relationship as a father throughout it so that we're not alone in it, but he identifies with it. He knows our sorrow. He knows our pain. And that brings me, and I hope it brings you great comfort in knowing that the answer may not be in words, but the answer is in his nearness, in his closeness, and in his love for you, no matter what your circumstances may say. And in the end, He does make all things new. Well, that's all for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you want to get more out of the show, share it with your friends because it then gives you something to talk about or fight about, which can be entertaining depending on uh, (laughs) what sort of level of personal, interpersonal conflict you like to have. That is all. Please go out this week. Hug your kids. Give your friends high fives who are having babies and uh, encourage them in their, their motherhood. Encourage your parents. Thank your parents for raising you uh, and go out and seek truth so you can own the future and build a strong, healthy family and society.